Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, I have an animated discussion with Annie Johnson from the Minnesota History Center about a fun new exhibit opening there this week. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm takes us inside some of the changes at Target Field this season, and Bill Werner has a commentary on Minnesota music icon Prince, whose sudden death last week shocked and saddened the world. But first, Tasha Radel has an update on the recently released 2015 HIV-AIDS surveillance report. Thanks, Scott. Joining me now is Chrissy Gerard, STD HIV TB Section Manager for the Minnesota Department of Health. Welcome, Chrissy. Thank you. Well, wanted to talk to you a little bit. Uh, I know you folks released a report uh, this week, uh, which is titled the 2015 HIV AIDS Surveillance Report. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, I guess, about the report itself and why we do this? Sure. We just released our numbers of HIV AIDS cases from 2015, and it shows that we had 294 newly reported cases at the end of 2015 compared to 306 in 2014. So we actually have about an estimated 8,200 people in Minnesota that are currently living with HIV. And, you know, if I remember right, these numbers were relatively pretty much the same compared to the year before, correct? Yes, we have actually averaged about 300 cases for the last decade. All right. And was there any surprises or anything that stuck out uh, in this year's report? Yeah. uh, uh, One thing that really stuck out to us was the increase among 20 to 29-year-olds by 24%. So we had 108 new cases in 2015 and only 87 in 2014. Those cases were concentrated in the metro area and higher rates occurred among communities of color and men who have sex with men. And I think another thing that uh, stuck out in the report was the number of cases among injection drug users, otherwise known as IDUSs. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that was actually an increase by 86%, but the numbers are really small. So we only had 14 cases of injection drug users in 2014 and now have 26 cases in 2015. So very small numbers. So the 86% 86 is definitely um, a little misconstruing there. But most of the IDU cases also occurred um, in the Twin Cities metro area among men who have sex with men and those ages between 20 and 39. And let's go back uh, to the newly reported uh, cases. Uh, Where were we seeing these cases? Uh, What groups, I guess, was was this coming in? We're still seeing disproportionately affected populations. So 58% of the newly reported HIV cases were in people of color. So we're definitely still seeing higher infection rates among communities that may have limited access to testing and prevention. And that was going to be my uh, next question. It it comes down to education. Are there things we're going to be doing in these areas uh, to improve this? Yeah, we are actually looking at more of a direct approach to communities that are disproportionately affected. So we'll be able to offer some training, education, capacity building to those areas that are hardest hit with the epidemic. And uh, for for folks that are listening and maybe they believe that they've been put at risk, what is a good first uh, step in getting tested? 
That is the first step. You need to go see your healthcare provider and get tested. If you are uninsured or underinsured, there are also other community-based organizations that offer HIV testing, and all of those sites are listed on our website. And, you know, another thing, too, that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, a lot of the statistics that I'm seeing are in the Twin Cities metropolitan area. How does uh, Greater Minnesota fit into this picture? Greater Minnesota definitely has less cases with HIV than S- the STD epidemic. So and with STDs, we see, you know, one in three cases in the in the um, in greater Minnesota that um, have an STD, but more so it's a little bit different with HIV where it is really concentrated in the metro area and a lot less cases are among those living in greater Minnesota. And who should be getting screened for HIV and and AIDS and, and starting when? You know, CDC recommends that everybody gets tested between the ages of 13 and 64 at least once as part of routine medical care. However, for those people that are at high risk for contracting HIV, um, men who have sex with men, injection drug users, some of the um, some of the communities that we have already talked about, they should be getting tested at least annually. And we kind of talked about this uh, yesterday among some of these uh, different population groups that we're seeing these increases. Uh, Any idea on why this is happening? Well, you know, there's there's ideas. I mean, I definitely don't think we can ever say for sure. But if you think about cases among the 20 to 29-year-olds where we're seeing an increase, there may be a lack of education that wasn't there before. Uh, there isn't as much funding for HIV prevention as there once was. The education isn't as hardy as it used to be in the beginning of the epidemic. So, And most 20 to 29-year-olds obviously weren't around when the beginning of HIV started. So I think there's a lack of education still there. It's probably not as much of the fear as there used to be because HIV is now not curable, but it is definitely maintainable with the new medications that they have out. And that was going to be my next question. We've really come a long way uh, when it comes to treatment of, of HIV and AIDS. Yes, definitely. Um, the medications now are so much better than they used to be, and people can definitely live um, a long, healthy life being on those medications. But I think what some people don't realize, too, is that there's still side effects for medications, and you still have to take medication every single day of your life. So, I mean, the best case still is to prevent the disease from happening. Well, on that note, uh, Chrissy, I thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks again to Chrissy Gerard, the STD HIV TB section manager with the Minnesota Department of Health. For more information on the 2015 HIV AIDS surveillance report, you can go online to the Department of Health's website at health.state.mn.us. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed,
could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Tweety and Sylvester, and the rest of their pals are visiting Minnesota in a new traveling Smithsonian exhibit that hits the Minnesota History Center this week. What's Up Doc? The animation art of Chuck Jones features the work of the legendary Warner Brothers cartoon artist. I recently spoke with the History Center's Annie Johnson about the fun new exhibit. What's up, Doc? We're really excited to have the exhibit coming to the History Center. It is visiting us from the Smithsonian Institution and features the animation art, as says in the title, of Chuck Jones, um, best known for his Looney Tunes um, cartoons and creations. He directed um, over 300 of those short films um, in his career. And for the people that are going to be attending the exhibit, what kinds of things are they going to see? There are um, around 130 of his original drawings, full-length Looney Tunes cartoons, some of the famous ones like One Froggy Evening and What's Opera Doc, um, as well as excerpts from other cartoons, um, an interactive station where you can try your hand at animation, um, and uh, some great photo opportunities where you can pose with Bugs Bunny or see if the um, Wiley e. Coyote can catch you like the Roadrunner. When you get a traveling exhibit like this, something that comes from the Smithsonian, tell me a little bit about mounting that and how you get it to, to live in the Minnesota History Center for the time that it's here. It's a really interesting process. Our designers work um, with um, the guidelines set up by the Smithsonian to figure out how it will fit into the space. Um, to choose wall colors, to work on any um, changes in design or um, how we want it to best fit with our space and, um, and our audience. And then the exhibits arrived and they are packed very carefully. And someone um, from the lending institution, in this case the Smithsonian, arrives with the exhibit to help us do that installation, which um, is a very high security and uh, exacting process. And Andy, what what would you say is the historical significance of, of something that at first glance would seem child's play or frivolous? I mean, we are talking about cartoons here, and yet we are we are looking at this uh, in a history center. What do you say makes it history? The enduring legacy of characters like Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck um, or the Roadrunner, I think that everyone alive today has a connection to those characters. Um, you know, grandparents, great-grandparents can remember maybe seeing those films when they were shown before movies in the theater, um, which is how those Looney Tunes cartoons were originally created. Um, kids today definitely recognize Bugs Bunny and those characters, or they might know Chuck Jones' work through his partnership with Dr. Seuss. Um, he was the director for the How the Grinch Stole Christmas animated cartoon that we all, I think, uh, still enjoy around the holiday season. So this is something that really is uh, has a multi-generational appeal, would you say? Definitely. I think um, families getting a chance to watch these cartoons together um, on a big screen at the museum uh, I know for me, getting to revisit these cartoons that I hadn't really sat down to watch um, since I was a child, I was 
thrilled to discover how um, how they hold up and how clever they are and sophisticated and really getting a chance to appreciate um, the uh, the fine art influences that you see. Um, Chuck Jones was trained as a fine artist, and he really believed that um, paying attention to uh, to the drawing and to using those tools to bring these characters to life was just um, was just vital. Annie, is there something in the exhibit in particular that really struck your attention or is, is your favorite piece in the exhibit? Um, there is a beautiful line drawing of Cindy Lou Who from How the Grinch Stole Christmas that is just adorable. And really, um, through just a simple drawing, you see that character brought to life. And then kind of on a fun note, um, Chuck Jones had the nine rules for Roadrunner cartoons, which after you watch them and then you read the rules, you really realize how clever um, and how simple those cartoons are, but then the great amount of um, complexity that can come just within those nine rules. Okay, I have to tell you that the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote are my favorite Looney Tune characters. So I, I know that you want folks to come in and find out what those rules are, so we don't want to give them all away, but can you just give me one or two? Well, here I can maybe quiz you. Do you remember the company that the uh, Wile E. Coyote bought most of, well, all of his clever contraptions he used from? Meep, meep. That would be Acme. Yes, so um, all those materials, tools, and weapons need to be purchased from Acme. Um, another rule is that the roadrunner must stay on the road because he's the roadrunner. And then where did all of those cartoons take place? What kind of landscape? There was usually a kind of a desert background. Yes, the American Southwest. And we were guessing yesterday in staff training that maybe that's because of all of those gorgeous, um, like cliffs in that Grand Canyon environment that were such a natural way for the for the coyote to fall off of that you needed those cliffs for that art of the gag. Was one of the rules that the coyote would never catch the roadrunner? Yes, definitely. <laughs> and uh, since I told you what uh, my favorite characters were, please tell me uh, who your favorites are. I am really, uh, oh, that's such a hard question, but which Hazel? is one of my favorites. Um, she is uh, featured in some of the great cartoons, Broomstick Bunny, and there's a Hansel and Gretel parody. And Chuck Jones really had an eye for detail. When Witch Hazel zooms out of frame, instead of just little smoke curls being left, she left hairpins behind her, which I just think is such a fun detail. And then June Fournay was the voice artist who brought her to life. And the... Uh, the voice of Witch Hazel is just so distinctive and um, and hilarious that uh, that I really like that character. <laughs> double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. <laughs> Not bad. Well, I can't wait to get down there and see the exhibit myself, and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about it today. Sure. Um, we look forward to seeing you and, and seeing all our guests and, and sitting down and watching some cartoons with them. The What's Up Doc exhibit runs at the Minnesota History Center through August 14th. More Minnesota Matters after this. That's all, folks. Mr. Detweiler, it's time to wake up, Mr. Detweiler. Hey, 
Mr. Detweiler. How are we doing? Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins continue a six-game homestand this weekend with the American League Central Division rival Detroit Tigers in town. Early in the week, the Twins had back-to-back walk-off winners against the Cleveland Indians on Monday. And the pitch, a swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back it goes. It's gone. Arcia walks it off again. A 1-2 count. Arcia, the hero, once again at target field. It's a game-ending solo blast to right, and the Twins win 4-3. That's Corey Provis on Twins Radio. He was at the mic on Tuesday as well. And the 1-1 line to center field. It's a base hit. It's going to be a winner. Dozier around third. Dozier scores. We walk off again. Last night, Arcia. Tonight, Sano. The Twins win 6-5. And Target Field has undergone a few changes since last season. Now that the home portion of the schedule is well underway, fans are paying attention to the additions. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm was at the ballpark during the team's first homestand of the season last week. That's right, Scott. And Twins President Dave St. Peter was kind enough to sit down with me during the second inning of Tuesday's matinee game at Target Field between the Twins and Brewers. The Twins ended up losing the game 6-5. to That snapped a four-game winning streak just before the team hit the road. Amongst our topics of conversation were some of the new things this season at the venue in downtown Minneapolis. One of the new items relates to fan safety and involves new protective netting placed behind both dugouts near home plate at Target Field. The Twins have always taken the issue of fan safety very seriously and uh, last summer there were a couple uh, pretty high profile incidents that took place within the league 
and uh, you know, based on that, Commissioner Manfred uh, uh, commissioned a study, a uh, pretty deep dive into uh, foul balls, uh, broken bats, uh, where they land, uh, what's been the history there, and came forward uh, last uh, December with some recommendations. Target Field already was in compliance with those recommendations, but within the course of the study, we really... Um, I think had many discussions with baseball and other experts about the proximity of the seats at the dugouts at Target Field, which are closer to home plate than any other ballpark. So we decided to extend netting uh, beyond the dugouts or behind the dugouts to the edge of the outside uh, corner of the dugout. And, uh, you know, the response so far, I think, has been predictable. Uh, some fans uh, understand it. Others uh, are very frustrated that they need to look through a net. But for the most part, I think uh, people, um, you know, have been supportive. And we really haven't lost a season ticket account to this point. Have there been so far any whistling balls that you were glad already here early that you, the net was up? Yeah, through the first uh, few games at home, we've had a few balls that have, that have hit off the net. And again, the net, this net is not going to protect every fan. It's a pretty limited number of fans that are going to be impacted by this net. There are still going to be foul balls that are going to go screaming into the stands or potentially broken bats. Um, it's not the end all, but it does protect those fans most uh, in immediate uh, path uh, in the closest to home plate. I also noticed as we taped this here at a ball a daytime game this week, um, a couple of the into the innings players because now you kind of you know that used to be kind of a fun place you could toss a ball to a kid. They're they're actually now tossing it up and over, reaching around. Fans are still getting some some balls that have been used in warm ups and those kind of things. Yeah, I've I've spoke to a few dozen season ticket accounts uh, personally uh, on the netting issue and. Uh, to a person, um, they might be frustrated about having to look through a net, but their biggest concern was um, the maybe inability or perceived inability to still get balls tossed to them by players, have that interaction with players on both teams. And I think to our players' credit as well as our opponents' credit, they appreciate the net being there, they're supportive of the net, and they've worked hard to continue to make sure a, a pretty significant number of uh, baseballs get shared in that particular area of the ballpark. Another new addition out in center field, we saw Young Ho Park hit a ball out there to the, the catch club, a, a double level uh, new hospitality area. Tell us about how that's been. It, it looks full every day so far. Yeah, you know, we've, we've worked hard since moving to Target Field to continue to keep the ballpark up to date, to introduce new areas, new neighborhoods, so to speak. This year, our, our primary focus was center field. Uh, we created a two-tier area. Uh, Minnie and Paul's is the, uh, is the upper area, open to all fans. Uh, it's been wildly popular. Red Cow uh, Burgers, uh, Pizza Luce, uh, Radiant Heat, Shade, uh, just a really cool spot to hang out. And then the area below that is known as Catch. And that's a, a season ticket uh, club uh, sold out for the season. And, uh, you know, we couldn't be more thrilled, uh, not just because it improves the ballpark aesthetically, which it does, but more, most importantly, it creates two new gathering spaces for fans. Now, um, Rod Carew threw out pitch, first pitch on opening day, the ceremonial first pitch, which was pretty neat to see. Uh, when you think about, you know, where Rodney was, you know, last summer, where he is now looking into this summer, and you guys have put together a nice thing this summer, uh, helping fundraise for uh, the, the American Heart Association through, through Rod Carew. Well, when, when Rod suffered that heart attack last September, you know, clearly we were very concerned at the time of his well-being. Um, as, as his journey has progressed, uh, he's really taken it upon himself to, to use this 
this unfortunate circumstance uh, as a platform to try to educate others and help others. So the Heart of 29 campaign is just that. It's all about building awareness of heart health. It's also about fundraising, raising dollars for the American Heart Association. Uh, a lot of it leads into the uh, American Heart Association Heart Walk, which will take place here in mid-May at Target Field. We're really encouraging fans to join Rod's team, be a part of that. Um, Rodney will be here. Uh, and then later this summer, uh, it's very likely Rod's going to go on a list for a heart transplant. So uh, it's an inspiring story. Um, you know, he, he, he was obviously a tremendous baseball player, one of the greatest hitters ever to play our game. But, um, you know, he's also, I, I think, will will always be remembered for somebody who cared about others. And um, um, Heart of 29 is all about, uh, you know, maybe helping some people uh, uh, save some lives. Last question for you. Are you still celebrating the North Dakota National <laughs> Championship in uh, men's hockey? You know, I'm very proud of my alma mater. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's been 16 years since we last won, won that national championship. So number eight was tough to come by, but Brad Berry and his staff did a great job. They continued with Dave Hackstall, I think, built there and got it done. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, I know this. Uh, it's a pretty good uh, year in the state of North Dakota when NDSU wins the football championship and the University of North Dakota wins the hockey championship. There's a lot of proud North Dakotans, and I'm one of them. Very good. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. That's the president of the Minnesota Twins, Dave St. Peter, on Minnesota Matters on MNN. Scott? Thank you, Mike. More Minnesota Matters after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather... So learn F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As we bring the show to a close this week, Minnesotans and a lot of other people all over the world have been remembering Prince. MNN's Bill Werner has been thinking about him, too. Another genius of music is gone. This often happens sooner than any of us want in the ranks of that particular and peculiar avocation. It perhaps comes with a territory, or perhaps those who take on that task assume that unpredictable mantle. Everything else in life takes a back seat. Things that ought to be managed are not. And finally, everything is drained from the vessel in service of the greater good, that unknowable art. Prince and Beethoven were about the same age when they died, and both, it could be strongly argued, sacrificed their physical selves in an attempt to have out what was in them, perhaps with only limited success, because it is not possible to see all that is in a human being. Prince, I think, was not a Beethoven, and yet...
There is elation, and yet a certain desperation, I think, in the songs of the Purple Man. So much to do, so much to say, so many things to experience, so little time. His compositions mirror the tempo, the brass of our age, the incessant staccato of machines, an ever-increasing pace as events are instantly shared. No time to reflect before the next arrives. These things cannot be kept out of the music. And when comprehension fails, all else that remains is... to scream at the universe. And so now the clamor of the crowds is left for somewhere else. And the musicians' creations are only squiggles in a groove of vinyl or bits in computer memory because the person himself, the living voice of the artist, formerly known as... That, too, has finally been liberated into the silence of the ages. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.